Okay, how about if we talk about your lady with locally advanced disease? The 51-year-old with multifocal disease on breast imaging who underwent a core biopsy. A biopsy was positive for grade 2 hormone receptor positive HER2 negative invasive ductal carcinoma. ERPR were greater than 90%. She had palpable adenopathy on physical exam. PET-CT was negative for any distant metastatic disease. She was advised to undergo neoadjuvant chemotherapy due to multifocal multicentric disease and the palpable adenopathy, which was biopsy proven to be invasive cancer. However, she refused. Therefore, she went on to have bilateral mastectomies and axillary node dissection on the affected side. Pathology was positive for a 3-centimeter primary mass and four satellite nodules, which measured up to 1.2 centimeters each. 17 of the 18 lymph nodes were positive, and she underwent docetaxel, doxorubicin, and cytoxin every three weeks for six cycles with nulasta support. She didn't need any dose reductions. She then underwent post-mastectomy radiation therapy. She also started tamoxifen in the middle of her radiation. She was put on zoledronic acid off-study because she didn't qualify for the SWOG trial. So she received Zomeda every six months per the ABCSG protocol. And she came in today to discuss hormonal therapy because she's taking Zoloft and tamoxifen and she's having a lot of anxiety. This is a very high-powered executive who works 80 to 90 hours a week. And she has a very busy life and just having some anxiety with her mother being sick. So she wanted to talk about hormonal therapy. And just to remind people that the SWOG bisphosphonate study, which at this point is closed, randomized people to one of three bisphosphonates. What about the sertraline in this situation? And what was her emotional condition? A few things. She's always been very busy and motivated at work. However, since finishing chemotherapy, she has had an increase in responsibility where she was promoted from being a deputy to the lady in charge. She also has been dealing with her mother having Alzheimer's disease and a lot of decisions to make regarding that. And she's been on the Zoloft for over 18 months. And when we first started the tamoxifen, she was supposed to see a psychiatrist and come off the Zoloft. However, she never made it in to see the psychiatrist. And that's why she wanted to come in today to discuss alternatives. What was going on that she refused or didn't want to receive neoadjuvant therapy? Psychologically, she felt that she wanted the tumor out, and she didn't want to wait four and a half months until finishing chemotherapy to have the tumor out. Additionally, her husband also, I think, played a part in the decision. He felt like it was a setback to wait to remove the cancer, and they could not get past that. I actually had them see another medical oncologist as a second opinion just to reinforce that fact that possibly neoadjuvant therapy would be better, but she was very adamantly set with the plan she wanted. Sandy, thinking back to that point in the course, there's a lot to talk about here, but in terms of that particular issue, a patient presenting with palpable adenopathy that's biopsy positive, How much do we know about whether or not it really makes a difference in the long term to get neoadjuvant therapy? Well, I think looking at the NSABP trials, the B18 and 27, it's pretty clear that you can increase the rate of breast conservation overall statistically in those trials. But when you're looking at this 
patient with multiple tumors, multicentric tumors, it's doubtful that you would have ever gotten to the point where she could have breast conservation. So doing neoadjuvant therapy for that reason probably wouldn't be that helpful. And with the B18 study, there's no survival benefit really to doing neoadjuvant therapy. So the one reason for doing it in her would be really to assess response to see if she was really going to have a response to the chemotherapy and to see if potentially the surgery would be easier since she did have palpable adenopathy. Do you see any role for Oncotype DX in a neoadjuvant situation like this? I mean, this patient certainly be pretty hard not to give her chemotherapy, but you know, if you didn't, I mean, there's a little bit of data on that. If you did it and it found a low recurrence score, would that in any way affect the way you think about this? That's a really good question because this is where I bring it up a lot of times in our breast conferences. It's for exactly the situation. And as has been presented and published, Luca Gianni and Jenny Chang have done studies looking at oncotype in patients given neoadjuvant therapy and showing that the patients who get the past CRs are those that have the high recurrent scores and those that have the low don't. And then there's a recent Japanese study showing that the patients who have the low recurrent scores are the ones that benefit from neoadjuvant or have a response to neoadjuvant hormonal therapy. So I think it can be very useful in the neoadjuvant setting. So it would have been reasonable to do it, though I don't think that she made a wrong decision by doing this. I think it certainly is standard of care to have the mastectomy as she did. So I don't think it was inappropriate. One of the big issues that we talked about actually before we saw her was the fact that she was on tamoxifen and the Zoloft and with the data showing that it's probably not a good idea to do those things. And as Neelima said, she'd been trying to get her to see the therapist to change the Zoloft because she's been on for a couple of years. And then when we talked to her, she said that she really felt like she was ready to come off the Zoloft before her diagnosis. And then she was diagnosed and it was just not the right time. So she stayed on it. And she clearly has had a lot of stressors in her life with the chemotherapy and then her mother with Alzheimer's. So it just, she's just never felt like it was the time to change things. So we did discuss that in detail with her and in talking to her, she really was pretty perimenopausal when she was diagnosed with a couple of years of very scanty periods. And then her periods actually stopped right before she got her chemotherapy and she hasn't had one since then. So she is really by definition postmenopausal. So the decision that Neelima made was really to switch her to an AI at this time, which solves the problem with the antidepressant, so that didn't really need to be changed. What do we know about specific antidepressants and CYP2D6 and tamoxifen? The ones that are recommended would be Effexor, for example, which has no interference with CYP2D6. Do you, either one of you, actually measure CYP2D6 outside of protocol setting in any patients? I actually do measure it, even though the guidelines recommend that it not be measured. And I know the ASCO guidelines are going to come out again soon for this, and the recommendations are to not measure CYP2D6. Though, on the other hand, the recommendations are to not give antidepressants that will interfere with the metabolism of tamoxifen and decrease in doxifen production. So it's kind of paradoxical recommendations. And I think the reason that the group decided to make the recommendation against measuring the CYP2D6 is because the 
data is controversial. Some of the studies support that fact and show that endoxaphene is decreased and poor metabolizers on tamoxifen have a worse outcome. And then there are other studies, and for example, one was presented at San Antonio that don't support that. So because of that, and because the great efficacy of tamoxifen, many investigators really and physicians really feel like it shouldn't be measured at this time and tamoxifen should just be given. But I personally just looking at the biology and looking at the data, I really feel like it's probably true. And we know for sure that endoxaphene is decreased in these patients, for example, that are on the SSRIs that do interfere with the metabolism and that the recurrence is higher. So I really think that it's probably correct data. And so I personally do measure it. How about you, Neil I individualize the decision in postmenopausal women that are having a hard time with arthralgias or their bone density is poor. I talk with them about the CYP2D6 data, and I go ahead and measure it in those women on a selective basis. In a premenopausal woman, if I think they're at significant risk for recurrence, and they're prepared for the ramifications, so to speak, of being a poor metabolizer, that we have little data on how to manage these women, but if they're prepared to think about ovarian ablation and an aromatase inhibitor, then I will check it. What was her bone mineral density? It was normal. So it was normal. So you're giving twice yearly zoledronic acid, I guess, with the hope that it's going to decrease the risk of metastatic disease. Yes. And again, you know, we tried to get her on the SWOG protocol, but she didn't qualify. Right. So I would totally agree with offering this patient bisphosphonates off trials, and she couldn't go on this trial because she does have such a high recurrence rate. So what about bringing up the possibility of bisphosphonates or specifically the twice-yearly zoledratic acid in any patient with breast cancer in premenopause? I mean, why just high-risk, Sandy? Well, I do bring it up with a lot of patients because, as we all know, everyone reads the internet now and everyone's heard of the Austrian study that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. So the data is out there, and I do discuss it with the premenopausal patients, but I don't recommend it routinely at all. And I have similar practice to what Neelima said, and only if they're high risk. 